Well, it's been sweet to be in the Psalms uh, this summer. I'm so thankful that we have all of Scripture. Um, spending the, the springtime in Romans and having this uh, beautiful theological depth and truth, and then to, to move into the Psalms and say, man, because of that truth, I get to sing, I get to worship, I get to praise God. And so many of the Psalms that we've looked at have been these adorations of who God is, right? Written down, preserved for us. Can you think about that miracle that God's Word has been preserved for us for thousands of years, and we get to come to it whenever we want. Like, we have access to the very heart of God through His Word that tells us everything that we need to know about Him, and we've been given a spirit. If we're in Christ, we've been given a spirit, and that spirit speaks to us and, and actually interprets the Word for us and, and applies it to our lives. Like, we have this gift of God Himself in His Word and in His Spirit today. And we get to look and we get to see Jesus. I think that sometimes we come casually and and we can forget, no, like we have this privilege of knowing who God is. We've, there's a heart transplant that's taking place as we're going to look at today. And so we, we revel in it, we get excited about it, we sing with joy because of it. And so this morning we get to sing and see one of these hymns that have been written down, Psalm 27. We get to see David who wrote the psalm and, and his interaction with God. Like, we don't just get given God, we get to see His people interacting with Him. And then we get to say, oh, if that's how they interacted with Him, then that's probably uh, a, a teaching point for me, right? It's probably applicable for me. How do I interact with God? Now, we're all different even as we're created in the image of God. We all have different gifts and different talents and we're uniquely made. And yet, what we have is this beautiful instruction, on how to love and worship our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what we desire. Whether we know it or not, we desire that with everything in us. It will satisfy. This psalm that David writes this morning in Psalm 27, it's written in light of two realities. And and they're very clear. The first reality is who God is. We see uh, these declarations of truth throughout the psalm. And sometimes we see David in his heart and his wrestling with that truth, but it does not negate the truth, the truth of who God is. The second reality we see is the circumstances of his life. The, the fact that things are hard, things are broken, the fact that there's wars going on, the fact that, that death surrounds him. And he could have just left that part out, but it's a very real thing. And some of you are experiencing hardship and brokenness and suffering today, and you need to be able to hold these two things together. Not to, not to gloss over one, but to hold them both as true and say, man, and I have a hope in the midst of both of those things being true. And so that's, that's what we're praying God would do today, that we would hold that out. We gather each and every time we gather, whether it's on Sunday mornings or, or throughout the week, we gather to remind each other of the true hope that we have in Christ. Our prayer is that this truth then would stir our affection. Like, We're created beings that have feelings and emotions and desires, but those feelings, emotions, and desires have to be shaped by truth. They have to be shaped by who God is and who He has called us to be. That's why we have the prayer of confession. Like We want to acknowledge that so that as we move forward and then we say, okay, what should that do in us? How should I live? How should I feel? How should I think? All of it is grounded in the truth of who God is. 
And so out of this true faith, we have these deep affections and longings for the God who has saved us and rescued us. And we pray that this psalm would bring about faith-filled obedience in us. That it wouldn't just stay in our head and in our heart, but it would actually move out in the way that we live. That we would have an effect on our community, in our households, that God would move through us. That's the crazy thing. Like He, he doesn't have to use us, and yet He invites us to participate in what He's doing. And we get joy in that. And so this morning, we hold that out, and we say, man, God, help me to believe what's true. Help me to have a deep desire and affection for it, and help it to, to work in me in such a way that I live differently because of it. Now we can just say, hey, we're going to do all these things, but the reality is that none of that happens without the Spirit applying the word in our hearts. So let's ask God to do that this morning. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that this morning you speak to um, the fullness of our humanity, the fullness of our experience. We thank you that you can do that because you sent your Son to become flesh and dwell among us. God, that he... um, walked perfect righteousness and died in our place, the place of those who are in Christ. So Lord, we just pray that today we would see that, that we'd remember that, that that the salvation that we have, the light that we have, the life that we have is from You. God, and as we see that, as You reveal that to us, Lord, may it stir our affections and may it cause us to live in such a way that You receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in our lives. I thank you that you're doing that in us. I thank you that there's evidence of that in the people that have gathered here today, Lord, that you are moving, that you are active, that our hope is sure because we're seeing that hope come about. Lord, I thank you for that this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see ears to hear your word, and eyes to see your face. We're going to say that it's your face that we seek after, Lord. Help that to be true in our hearts, that we would desire you more than anything else. God, overshadow anything else that would steal our affection and our wants. And may we be satisfied in you today because you have put the heart inside of us that would be satisfied in you. Thank you for the gift of your grace this morning. May we receive it with joy. May we not keep it here, but may we go out and share it with joy because you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. um, Commentators on this psalm are kind of divided. Some of them think that it might have been two psalms originally and then it kind of gets meshed into one because there's a couple of uh, disjointed pieces in it. But I think that if you look at um, other psalms, you'll see some of the same things. So I don't know that that's a really valid argument. Um, and the beauty of it is, like, all of this is given to us. All of it is given to us for our edification. So, like, you, you can read Psalms, and then you can jump to Titus, and there's, they're disconnected, they're a little bit disjointed, and yet all of them are speaking the truth of who God is in His Word. So even if you feel like that a little bit in the Psalm, don't worry about it. It's Okay. Like, the whole of the psalm actually tells this beautiful story. 
The New International Commentary talks about how this psalm is, is verses 1 through 6 are like this declaration of trust in the Lord. And then verses 7 through 12 are actually David like begging God to continue to do what he just declared that he was doing. But it's almost like it's in a moment of, of, of wrestling, a moment of striving to believe, a, a moment of warring to believe. Have any of you ever had those moments where you have to actually fight to believe? Like where it doesn't just come naturally, where you have to say, I know this is true, God, but I don't feel that right now. I'm not experiencing that right now in my life. I know it's true. Will you help me to believe it? And so David's giving us some words here that are real applicable to our lives. It's so kind of God that he would do that. That we don't feel in those moments isolated and and unworthy because what we have is we have the saints who have gone before us and they struggled the same way. They battled the same way. They had real lives that, that experienced brokenness and hurt and so they had to war within themselves to say, I know that's true. Help me to believe it. And then what you have is 13 and 14. Again, a declaration of the truth. So let's walk through that. Verses 1 through 6. Um, Many of you know I wasn't here last week. We went to California and, and had the privilege of, of doing a celebration of life for Randy's grandfather, and it was really sweet. And I shared um, from Psalm 27 there. And, and the reason being because of those two things that are true. The reality of who God is and, and the reality of things being broken, even, even death. And so this morning, while maybe we're not experiencing that same exact reality, there are so many things that are broken in our life. Has anyone read the news and not heard something that was broken? Like, is, is that possible anymore? Is it possible to get on social media for a couple minutes and not see something that's broken? And, and what do we do in those moments? What, what should we do as as Christians, as followers of Christ, what should we do in those moments? How do we process that? How do we walk through that? And what we're going to see is that the Bible gives us a way to do that. To acknowledge the brokenness. To grieve the brokenness. To lament. Some, some scholars think that this is a, a psalm of lament. And so we, we cry out and we grieve and we mourn together. That things are broken. Relationships are broken. People die there's wars going on. And, th- and that's just, that's like big picture stuff. Like in our home, we get mad at each other. Like people who really genuinely love each other say mean things to each other. That's, that's all very real. And so what do we do? We, we respond and we say, God, God, remind me again of your goodness and how you are restoring all things and how you're making them new. And then we hope, even when we don't see it, we hope. Psalm, 1, or Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Probably many of us have heard that. Many of us have heard that. We've probably even sung that. A lot of, a lot of new songs and, and old songs are, are built off this truth. Like, the Lord is my salvation. He's the one who's rescued me. He's saved me. So, sometimes, though, that's where we stop. And so we have to correct that. Like, what has God saved us to? Not only has He saved us, but what has He saved us to? 
And so David is remembering first and foremost that he has been saved, that he has been rescued. And for him, this rescue is actually really tangible. What we see in verses 2 and 3 as we read on, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet will I be confident. You see, David's writing these things and he's not using uh, symbolism. He's not using allegory. He's not using uh, just a, a nice story to explain something. There are actually enemies outside of his gates that are trying to kill him. You start telling people that you are special, that you are chosen by God, that you are a holy race, and watch, like, watch what happens. We, some of you have probably said that because it's true. Like We are chosen by God. God has set us apart. He has paid the price for us. And when people hear that, they get angry. So imagine being a whole nation of people who are declaring that their God is the one God, the only God, the true God, and that all of your gods are false gods. You're going to get a lot of enemies. David has a ton of enemies, right? The stories through 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles tell of the, the establishing of Israel and how many wars they went through against the surrounding nations and they were attacked from all sides. So when David is writing this, he's actually saying, no, it's you who have saved me and rescued me. Like, if I'm alive today, it's because of a faithful God. Here's what's true for us. The same thing. If I'm alive today, it's because of a faithful God. If He's all-knowing and in control and all-powerful, then you and I are here today by His providence and by His sovereign grace that we would sit under His Word and hear Him today. And so when David says, I'm surrounded by all of these things that would want to attack me and kill me, we're in the same boat. We too have a salvation and and a, a Lord who has made us a stronghold and has called us to Himself and protects us. And if that's the case, then whom shall I fear and whom shall I be afraid? This is true. He begins with truth, declaring it to himself and to those around him. Anytime you begin to declare truth, I would encourage you to say it out loud because you're not the only one who needs to hear it. We all need to hear it. We need to preach that gospel to ourselves. So we need to to not just make it an outward projection on other people, but even as we preach it to ourselves, we probably need other people around us to hear it. A, so they can know what we're wrestling with, and B, so that they can, they can hear the same thing, because they might be wrestling with it too, and they need to hear truth. So speak truth out loud. Read God's Word out loud. Do it around the, the dinner table. Do it at night before you go to bed. Do it in the mornings. Like Hear truth and speak it to one another. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's the one who's rescued me. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? as we move through the rest of the passage, hold on to that. Like if there's nothing else that you get out of this morning, write that down, memorize it, cling to it, because that's the truth that's going to that's carry David through everything else. He moves from uh, the, this verse 1, and we don't want to jump too quickly from there, and so... He, 
don't worry. This is the longest verse that we're going to spend time on. So if you're like, man, we're going to be here forever, just, it's okay. But listen to what he says. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. For each one of us in here this morning, this is a very personal God. Our salvation is not because our, our family reads the Bible or our family goes to church or, or maybe you're just trying to do the best that you can or, or your life is actually getting, your behavior is getting better. Like none of those things are what save us. The, the fact that you would have a salvation, that you would have life and that you would have light is because God has done something personally for you. David recognizes that. He says, the Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He's my life. The powerful creator of the universe. That's crazy. The one who made all things has, has saved me, cares about me. And all of us are pretty well aware that we probably don't warrant that. And yet he's done it. This holy and powerful God is the one who shines into the darkness surrounding David and gives truth and clarity for life. David recognizes his need for rescue and he puts his hope in the one who has rescued him. Right, So that shining in. The Lord is my light. He's the one who has revealed all truth to him. He's the one who has rescued him. The Lord is my salvation. And finally he sees the world around him and he speaks the truth that God is the safety and the refuge he needs in this broken place. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. How has this become David's truth? I got a challenge for, for me this week and I want to share it with you because maybe it will be a challenge for you. I think sometimes we think about David and we got all the stories of David. We're like, man, yeah, that dude, he was awesome. He did that whole Goliath thing, which was awesome, right? He made a couple mistakes that were awesome in a different way, like a bad awesome. He, but then he led the, the armies, right? And that's, like we have this idea and we put David on this, this pedestal and maybe it's, um, maybe he's famous or maybe he's infamous, but either way we make him special, I think it goes back, and I even attribute it to very small things, right? The, some of the first things we have of David are David's obedience to his father as he faithfully tends the flock in the field. And we think, oh, well, he's always been a good kid. So, of course, David, he's special. He, he's been obedient. But the reality is that God did something in David's heart. It seems like it was pretty early on, but maybe it wasn't until he finally came to repentance. I don't... I, with, with, David, with Bathsheba and, and being called out in his sin, but it, it looks like David from an early age had a great faith in who God is. A great understanding of truth. How does that happen? The same way that it happens in you and I. We've been talking a lot about this over the last couple of months. The regenerated heart. right? In and of myself, I rebel against God. I don't want God's ways. This, this, the, when we read later, seek your face and, I, and I'm seeking after you and I'm longing for you. No, in my dead heart, I don't want any of those things. 
And so the first thing that has to happen before I will even receive truth is that God does a work in my heart. He takes my heart of stone and he gives me a heart of flesh. That's grace. That's amazing grace. That's a grace that would say, God, why, would you, why did you do that to me? I was an enemy of you and you made me a friend. You've called me a son. Why, why me? Why anyone? Why would you do that? Why are you so gracious and kind? But that's the beginning. It has to start with a regenerated heart that would even want to hear truth, that want to have my affections stirred, that would want to play out in my life. And so we see that in David. We see this recognition of what God has done. We see in verses 2 and 3 that the greatest enemy that's surrounding David is death itself. Everyone's trying to kill him. Some of you have served in in the military and you know what it's like to be uh, surrounded by enemies. Some of you just know what it's like to be surrounded by submariners, but I would say that it's very close, very similar. Uh (laughs) That's for you, kid. Thank you. No, but to be surrounded by enemies, to have that actual experience, and to know that the only thing that's going to save me is a miracle. And David has experienced that miracle several times. They're all examples. These three examples. Evil lures assail me to eat up my flesh. An army encamp against me. The war rise against me. All of these are examples of circumstances that bring death to David. And that's just external. Internally, he had people that were trying to kill him. His own son, Absalom, rebels against him. There's a constant war internally. So imagine all of those things happening to feel like you can't even control, you can't control your own kids. Now they're warring against you to destroy you. And David goes and he says, you, you God, you are my salvation. You are my strength. You are my life. You are my life. And it changes the way that he thinks And it changes the way that he feels and he experiences life. Read verse 4 with me. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To have that in the middle of chaos all around you, and you would say, God, I know that all of these things are going on, but the one thing that I want, the one thing that I'm desperate for is to know you and to love you and to behold you and to dwell with you. I can't, like I don't, I don't do that. I want to do that. I don't do that. And yet this is the, this is the song that God has put in David's heart that he wants to know God. That he wants to see him, that he wants to behold his beauty. We think of David as like this warrior, and yet there's this piece of him that's like so tender hearted and moved by beauty, longing to know God and to trust him. That he says, If I only have one thing, I want you. That's what I'm going to seek after. Why? Because five and six, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will hide, lift me high upon a rock. 
And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You see, all of this is true. David is stating truth in verses 1 through 6. The truth of who God is and what he's done, the truth that, that he has saved him, the truth that the threats are still there, and yet God is saving, God is his salvation, his refuge, the one that he runs to. And so because of that, he's going to continue to seek him and to go after him. Psalm 27 begins with truth. And then, he wrestles for that truth. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Some people think that it's just a statement, but to me, it's almost like, it's almost like a begging, like a question. Like, I need you to do this. And so, even with that, there's like a little bit of doubt, but... But David, you just said in the beginning that the Lord is your light and your salvation. He's the one in whom you trust so you can be confident. You, are you wavering here? I don't, I don't think so. I think that he's just doing life. <laughs> like sometimes life is really hard. Sometimes you, you, you go through dry spells where the, the feelings aren't there. The feeling of safety is not there. You know truth but you don't feel safe. Some of you are wrestling with that today. Some of you feel like life is getting very overwhelming. Like how many more bad things can happen? How broken can this get? And yet the reality is that God is faithful and even in the midst of it, you can ask Him your questions like that. You can say, Hear, O Lord, when I cry. God, I'm crying to You. Hear me. Will you meet me in this place? Be gracious to me and answer me. You've told me what I'm supposed to do. Seek my, fa- seek my face. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then hide not your face from me. It's almost as if his face, he hadn't seen the face of the Lord for a while. And so he's asking him, God, don't, don't hide your face from me. I want to know you. I want to see you. Just like in verse 4, I was... I was seeking after you, and I was coming for you. I'm still doing that. Where are you, God? Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. See, what we have here is a cry to Yahweh. A cry to the Lord God Almighty. The one that he's already said is his hope, is his salvation, is his tr- where he's putting his trust. But he's crying out, and there's a humility and a s- subjection to the glory of God in his cry. He knows who God is. But even in the midst of that, he's, he's humbling himself, and he's saying, Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for you. So he longs to seek his face. We're given this... In first or in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, this promise that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now often I hear that um, inappropriately applied, and yet 
the, the truth of it is that God is calling us to a place of humility, a place where we would seek His face, where we would call out to Him. And so you see that in David, in verses 7 through 9. He's crying out to God. He's being obedient. And he, his heart is such that he desires to be with God. We saw it in verse 4. We see it again played out here, maybe in different circumstances. Maybe it's just a continuation but he's saying, Lord, I, I long to know you. If there's one place that I want to be, it's with you. Can we just ask that question of ourselves this morning? And if there was one person that you could be with, would it be God? If there was one place you could be, would it be in the presence of God? Or are you actually a little bit nervous about the idea of being in the presence of God? Would you choose someone else because you feel like they would accept you and maybe God wouldn't? Maybe you know the, the reality of your sin this morning and yet you've forgotten the grace of your Savior this morning. But this morning, if we can, if we can say, man, the Lord, you are my light and my salvation. You are the one who has saved me. Where else would we rather be? than in the presence of the one who has saved us. Is this what you need this morning? Because I know it's what I need this morning. We, we need to, to humble ourselves and we need to seek the face of the Lord as we've been called to do and as we see David doing here. And you know what? There's something that you and I have that David didn't have. We have the reality of the incarnate Word. Like, David's been given the, the Word of God to know who God is and, and longing for that Messiah to come who would deliver him, who would rescue him. And you and I look back and we see that Jesus has come. The Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen the glory of the God who is His light and His salvation in the face of Jesus. The image of the invisible God, that's the face that we seek. That's the face that David seeks. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Talking about Jesus. And then he goes on, Paul goes on in 19 and 20 and says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, we've been given, we, we've seen Jesus in the Word of God. We've seen how He's come. How He lived a perfect life. How He interacted with people and engaged them in their brokenness. Healed them. Healed many of them. And we see how He went to the cross as a sacrifice for sin. Sin that you and I committed. Sin that David committed. The, the sin that he's crying out for salvation from, he's been delivered by Jesus. And so in Jesus, we see the image of the invisible God. Now the problem is, many of us take Jesus and we misinterpret Jesus and then we say, well, if, if that's who Jesus is, then the other things that God said before couldn't be true because Jesus wasn't like that. And that A, that's not true. But what we have is we have a, a faithful, unchanging, 
merciful, just, holy God. And in Jesus, we've seen Him. So everything that the Word says is true about Jesus. And everything that we see in Jesus is true about the Word and who God is and who He's always been. And so we can't separate those two things. But we have a fuller picture of who God is because we've seen Jesus. So this morning we need to see and hope in God. See and hope in our Deliverer. The God of my salvation. We need to be grounded in the truth that we have a very present and real Savior this morning. The Savior is Jesus. Our champion. You see, while David is rejoicing in both a a physical salvation, a, a Salvation from his enemies that are surrounding him. He's also rejoicing in a full salvation. A salvation from everything that is broken, from all of the sin. A salvation that has been bought by the Son of God. For him and for us. Jesus is our champion. Remember verses 2 and 3, like David is surrounded by death and destruction. And so why should he have no fear? Why should he be confident? It's because he has Christ. He he doesn't know the fullness of it yet, but he knows that there's a promise of a Redeemer. A promise of a Messiah. And you and I look and we see Jesus and we see the redemption that he brings. Jesus defeated death. Defeated death. Like the fear that David has is of the death that's around him. the, The death that could take him at any moment. And yet he rejoices in the salvation that he has. But We rejoice because Jesus has defeated death. So the worst thing that can happen to us is we could die, and yet Jesus has defeated death. He's the one in whom we put our hope, and He's the one who has defeated sin and death through His own death and resurrection. Romans 8, 10, and 11 say, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That same Spirit is the Spirit that is giving David life. As he says, you are the stronghold of my life. You are my light, my salvation. And it's the same Spirit that gives us life today. The same Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, in 1520-22, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If death is dead, and sin is defeated in Christ, then what do you have to fear? If you're in Christ. What do you have to fear? Nothing. So you get to say, just like David... The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, I said if death is dead and sin is defeated in Christ, then what is the hope of those who are in Christ? That's the key. It's not just that everybody no longer needs to fear death. No, we don't fear death because we are in Christ. David doesn't fear death because his trust is in Yahweh, the God who is his salvation. It's it's not just a blanket, everybody's okay. No, we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I know that you have lived a perfect life and I, I see 
that you died a death that you didn't deserve. And I know that my sin actually deserves death. And you died in my place. But you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. You defeated sin and death. You live. And so you've given me life if I'm in you. And so we take hold of that by faith. And we we believe that that's not even the end of it. That He's making all things new. That He's restoring what is broken. Even now. And one day it's going to be fully restored. We have a hope that is great. We have to acknowledge our need for a Savior. And then we trust that, that Jesus has forgiven our wrongs. That He's covered over them our transgressions by His blood. That His death paid the penalty that we deserve. And then we believe the truth that Christ has met that need in His active obedience even unto death and that He's given us His righteousness to live in. We have life because Jesus has resurrection life. So the question that we have in Psalm 27 and that we have throughout all of Scripture is is what are we believing? Are we resting in that unity with Christ? Do we rest in it so much? Do we have such a faith in it that it actually changes our affections as we see in the psalm, that, that we would desire one thing and one thing only, to know God and to trust Him. And then does that, that desire and that affection actually play out into obedience as you see in verse 11. Teach me Your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. 13 and 14, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In verse 11 and 14, you have two active, active words. The first one is, is walking down the path, right? To, to walk in the righteousness. In 14, it says wait. And you're like, that's not active. Well, it does require you to do something. <laughs> it, it requires... A, a fullness of you waiting. You're not moving. You're not fidgeting. You're waiting because you have a hope. You have a trust. And so whether you're actively running down the path or what looks like passive, sitting and waiting, both of them are, are obedience to the commands of God. And so as we see in this passage, David is finishing this uh, Psalm with the way that he finished the first section. He's he's declaring truth to himself and to others. The truth is, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He has a hope that he will see his God and know his God, even as he was wrestling with it. Like, you said seek you, and I'm seeking you. And then if he does or doesn't, it's leading to this, this truth or this hope that he has that I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord, this belief, this trust, this faith. David's trust in God's Word lead to a longing to see God's face and an active obedience to God's command. As you see in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. That's a true thing. That's where he's putting his faith. In verse 8, he says, you have, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. It's a, an affection and a desire that's been put in David. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. These are obedience in action. 
You see, so often we want to jump to the, the behavior piece. And we want to say, well, why am I not behaving the right way? Or probably more likely, why is so-and-so not behaving the right way? And we, we argue and we, we, we try to fix ourselves and we try to do some behavior modification. And the reality is that what am I believing that's wrong that's actually leading to a wrong affection that's then being played out into a wrong or a, or a disobedience. So we got to go back to, hey, what am I believing? Do I believe that the Lord is my light and my salvation, that He has rescued me? If that's true, and I've received this grace that He took my hard heart and gave me a soft heart, then man, that's, that's going to change the way that I view everything. It's going to change the way that I think about everything. That truth is going to ground me in God's Word. It's going to ground me in who He is and who He's called me to be. And then out of that grace, I'm going to have this great affection, this great gratitude. Man, God, You, you love me. I remember that so often when I, when I share like what God's done in my life, it goes back to being five and being in, in a, serv- a special service. We had a special sing come. It was so much fun. But at the end, they gave an altar call, and I was five, and they said, hey, you know, Jesus really loves you. Do you want to love him back? And I raised my hand. Yeah, like, mom and dad love me, and I love them back. Right? That, that, it's, it's simple, and it, thank, thankfully, God's been really patient and kind and brought me to a much better understanding of what's going on there. But there's, there's still a very personal Jesus loves you, and you love him in return. You love him because he's first loved you. So you rejoice in the grace that you've received, and out of gratitude, you, you seek his face. You have a longing for him, a desire for him. And then out of that right desire and that right affection, that seeking the face of God, comes active obedience, comes love, peace, grace, kindness, all of the, the fruit of the Spirit that's being worked in to and through you. And so we see that in Psalm 27. God has done this in David. He is his hope, his light, his salvation, the stronghold of his life. And the beauty of it is that he is the same for us today. And we get to sing this song. We get to pray this prayer with him in the same way, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has done the work required to make God our God, my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. This is our hope. Today, if you're here and you're hopeless, there's really good news. You can look at the reality of your circumstances that are causing hopelessness, and you can be honest about them, and you can say, but, but if, if that's true, what the Bible says, then there's a, a God who can save me and rescue me. And I want to put my hope in Him. We'd hold out Jesus to you today, and we would ask that you would put your hope and your trust and your love and your faith in Him. We pray that in the, the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of your hopelessness, that you would find hope in Christ. And we'd love to walk with you through that.
Like, what does that mean? How, how does, what does that look like on a, on a regular basis? Like, how do, I, how do I actually walk in that? That's why we are the church together. We have that gift to be able to do that with each other. And so we would call you to that today. Maybe you, like me, have forgotten the hope that you have this morning. Maybe we've, for, we've, we've forgotten and we just needed to be reminded that the Lord is my light and my salvation, the stronghold of my life. Of, if that's true, then why would I be afraid? Why would I have any fear? And so we need to be reminded of the hope we have in Christ and we need to repent of our chasing after any other thing. If we answer the question, who would I rather be, who, if I had any choice in the world of who I get to be with, and it's somebody other than God Himself, like, we need to repent and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I've chased after this lesser thing. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to run to you. It's your face that I want to seek after. You see, because we're prone to wander. All those sheep references that Jesus uses, that's us. They're not too smart, and they wander all over the place. We are prone to wander, and so we need to be called again to the lover of our soul, reminded of the grace that we've received, and out of gratitude for that grace, respond, glorifying God. This morning, we turn our gaze toward God, and we seek His face. We pray that we will experience the love of Jesus this morning, that we'd share it with each other, so that our hope would be sure and our joy full. And so we end with another statement of the truth that we began with. Paul writes in Romans, for those who are in Christ, and he says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have this truth this morning. I pray that we would take hold of it, that we would believe it, that it would stir our affections, and that it would change the way that we live for the glory of God. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you that you um, are our God. We thank you that you are our light and our salvation, the stronghold of our life, Lord, that we have no need to fear. We thank you that you hide us in the shelter of your wing. Lord, and we pray that because all of those things are true, that you would stir in our hearts a desire to seek after you, a desire to dwell in your house, to gaze upon your beauty, to inquire in your temple, a desire to know you, Lord. God, and we pray that out of that right desire, we would live lives that would give you glory. Lord, that we would be your hands and feet, that the we would be your image, that when people see us, they would see Jesus. Lord, would you do all of this today for your glory? We thank you for your work on the, in your perfect life. We thank you for your faithful obedience even unto death. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for your ascension into heaven where you are continuing to rule and reign today. Lord, we pray that we would believe that truth and it would shape everything that we do, our thoughts, our hearts, our actions. Lord, may we glorify you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.